0: Last weekend, my six-year-old son, Ezra, played his first ever game of flag football. He had a fantastic time. But despite mine and the coach's best attempts to try and explain how the game worked to him, he still managed in the moment to forget the rules. One instance of that was when he got the ball on offense And he proceeded to turn around and run towards his own end zone. All the parents, all the coaches started shouting at him, Ezra, 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 run the other way, run the other way. But he was determined and there was not a man in front of him. So the pathway was clear. (laughs) However, as he got closer and closer to the end zone, it was like he suddenly realized what everyone was saying and he turned around. And in front of him was every single member of the other team. And he proceeded to weave and duke his way past every single one of them and take it home the length of the field for a touchdown. (laughs) Yesterday morning he was talking about it with his grandmother on the phone and he said, I didn't forget, it was a trick play. Welcome to Chapel Hill, my name's Ellis, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really glad that you're joining us this baptism weekend, whether you're here in person or you're online, you're joining us as we continue our series through the Old Testament book of Joshua. We're calling this first section, Ready, Set, Go. We're asking the question, how can we be ready for what God is going to do in our lives in the future? And the answer today's passage gives us is to remember his work in the past. You know, many of us have been through periods in our life where it feels like our faith is is dry, Our, our faith is at a low, and I believe the passage that we're going to read today is going to help us see that the foe of faith is forgetfulness. Just as my son Ezra forgot which way he needed to run in a flag football game, we too often forget, and sometimes our forgetfulness can pose more serious issues than a game of flag football. And the thing which I think, and this passage I believe teaches us, most easily causes our faith to waver, is forgetting the mighty works of God in our lives in the past. Remembering God's performance in the past is the key to finding faith in the future. So we pick up the story of God's people. We are over 3,200 years ago. They're about to enter the land that God has promised them. But in order to do that, they have to cross the River Jordan. A couple of weeks ago, I had a man come up to me after the service, and he said, you you mentioned the River Jordan in your sermon today, and you called it a raging river. He said, well, I've actually been to Israel, and let me tell you, it's more of a trickle. And I said, yeah, you're right, at certain times of year. You see, the the obstacle facing the people of Israel wasn't the river necessarily. It was the time of year that they were seeking to cross the river Jordan. Joshua 3.15 says the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. And that was when they were trying to cross it. You see, the snow caps on the mountains were melting. This is springtime in the land of Israel. And what was previously a hundred foot wide river, maybe only three feet deep at certain fords, is now a raging torrent. And not only that, but it's in flood. And the floodplain surrounding the river isn't this nice flat floodplain with nothing on it. It's full of jungle brush and and growth, and and that means that the water they had to cross was was more like a a mile-wide swamp with that at the middle. What faced the people of Israel was an insurmountable obstacle. And more than that, there were two million of them waiting to cross the River Jordan. Can you imagine? It must have seemed impossible. But nevertheless, the Lord commanded Joshua to send the priests ahead of the people carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And we all know what that is because we've seen Indiana Jones. (laughs) The Ark of the Covenant was the box in which the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments were contained. It was the centerpiece of Israel's worship. It was the place where God himself dwelt. And Joshua passed on the Lord's command to the people and we read about that in Joshua 3 beginning in verse 13 and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap and the Lord did just as he promised Joshua verse uh, verse 15 as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that's beside Zarathan. And those flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I know miracles can often be a stumbling point for many of us in our faith. Can God really perform miracles? Could he really have stopped the river from flowing and enabled the people to walk across? And and this is a great question and one many of us struggle with. In fact, Pastor Gunnar's is going to do a vlog this week where he's going to talk more about that very topic. But let me remind you that if you follow Jesus, then you follow a man who claimed that he was God in the flesh And that three days after he was crucified, he was raised back to life. At the center of our faith is the the greatest miracle that ever occurred. And I believe the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is incredibly strong. If you want to check it out for yourself, I'd, I'd recommend Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. You can find a link to that in our weekly guide. You know, if Jesus can be raised from the dead by God, I'm pretty sure God could damn up. The river Jordan for a few hours. But you know what's most interesting to me about this instance of God at work? Is, is that he brought his people to an incredibly bleak place before he acted. I mean, he could have brought them to the river at a different time of year, when, when it was a trickle, as my friend said. But instead, God chose to bring the two million people who needed to cross that river at a point when it was a mile-wide swamp with a raging torrent in the center. Why did he do that? Why did he choose to bring them to that place at that time? Well, we find out in the very last verse of chapter 4. It says, So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. God brought them to this bleak place, and he brought them through it, so that they and the whole world might know that the God of Israel is mighty and powerful and that his people might worship him for all their days. Many of you know the story of the time my family and I got stuck in England because our our visa was denied. And this was a pretty bleak time for us. The way the denial letter was worded, it felt like there there was no way back to the U.S. anytime soon. It really felt like we were facing an insurmountable obstacle. But somehow... We managed to get another interview even though there weren't any available according to the website. And somehow we managed to expedite that interview from late in January to to the week before Christmas when I'm sure they were at their busiest. And somehow in the middle of the interview when the officer who was interviewing us wasn't so sure about our evidence and she called over her supervisor, somehow her supervisor took one glance at our paperwork nodded his head and the officer approved our visa. Somehow, God made a way where it seemed there was no way. And maybe some of you would describe the place that you are right now, the obstacles that that you are facing as insurmountable. You might say, my situation feels bleak. It feels impossible. You honestly don't know how you're gonna get through it. Well, this story reminds us that God and God alone is the only one who can bring us through. And I believe, if, if I may be so bold as to say that God has brought you to this place because he is going to demonstrate his power in your life, in the midst of whatever it is you are facing. He's going to use what you are facing to show you that his power is greater than any power in the world. He's going to use this situation to bolster your faith in him so that that one day you're going to be able to look back on this time in your life and you're going to be able to go, wow, I serve an awesome God. I've been there. I can look back and I can say that. And if you're there right now, hold on. God is at work. Look for his presence. Stepping out into the middle of the waters and follow him through on the dry ground. So once the people had crossed over, the Lord gave Joshua another command. And this is where I want to kind of settle in today. Chapter 4, verse 2. Joshua begin. Uh, the Lord says to Joshua, Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. So Joshua did just that. He got 12 men, one from each tribe representing all the people of Israel. And he got them to pick up a stone and carry them out of the middle of the river and put them down at the place where they entered the promised land. But why did he do that? Verse 6, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. The stones were there so that future generations would not forget. You see, we're forgetful people. The Lord knows that the most formidable foe of faith is forgetfulness. You know, if you've, you've ever watched a marriage fall apart, you know it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, there might be a, a straw that breaks the, the camel's back, but a marriage falls apart slowly as one partner forgets and, and gradually fails to remember how precious the other person is. And, you know, it's the same with our faith. Our faith doesn't fall or waver because of one instance of suffering. Our faith wavers when we forget, gradually and slowly, day by day, the works of God in our past. When we forget the, the faithfulness of God to provide when we so desperately needed it, we forget His power to heal in our sickness and disease in the past. We forget when he comforted us when we were mourning. We forget when he encouraged us and emboldened us when we were afraid. And day by day, as we forget God's works in the past, our faith fades away in the future. The foe of faith is forgetfulness. But here's the most wonderful truth. God doesn't forget us. Even when we forget him, he does not forget us. In fact, it's the the running story of the very next book of the Old Testament, the book of Judges. It's a story that that just feels like it's going around and around the same loop again and again. A story of a a people of God who gradually, slowly forget who God is and, and instead begin devoting themselves to the things of this world. And then they get hit by a crisis. Maybe another nation attacks them or a, a famine or a disaster strikes them and they go, oh yeah, oh, I remember we have this God who can help us. Why don't we pray to him? And they go round this cycle again and again and again. And I don't know about you, but if I were God, I might be tempted when they turned to me and said for the 13th time, oh, we need your help to save us again. I might be tempted to say, you didn't need my help when you were running around with the Canaanites. You didn't need my help when you were getting fat off the produce of the land. You didn't need my help when you were consulting mediums or checking your horoscopes. So why should I help you now? That's, that's how I would be. But that's not how God is. That's not how God works. We might forget him again and again and again, but he never forgets us. Like the loving father of the prodigal son, he waits for us. Never forgetting his love for us, longing for us to return. And when we finally do, he's not forgotten who we are. We are his beloved. We are his sons and daughters. We are his chosen ones. And in that moment, as we come into his arms, he covers over all of our sin and wraps us in the finest robe, the robe of righteousness reserved only for the true heir of the Father. You see, we might forget God, but he does not forget us. If you find yourself today having gone down a path of forgetfulness, I want to assure you that God has not forgotten you. You might have neglected your relationship with God, but he has not neglected you. And if today you will turn to him, return to him, turn away from the path that you were on, he will welcome you with open arms. He will forgive you for whatever it is that you have done. He will clothe you in that robe of righteousness so that you are pure and spotless. And he will give you a place at his table in his kingdom as a true son or daughter of our heavenly father. If that's you, I want to invite you today, return to him, come back to him. He loves you. He's not forgotten you. And for all of us, this passage is an encouragement that we would put safeguards in place to make sure we don't lose our faith in the future, that our faith does not waver in the future. If the foe of faith is forgetfulness, the insurance of faith is remembrance that's what God instructs his people to do as they cross the River Jordan. The memorial stones were there so that the people of Israel and future generations would never forget what took place that day. And on the way into church, you probably walk past it dozens of times if, if you attend here regularly, you might have noticed this stone. It was placed here when the sanctuary was built. It, it quotes the, the very chapters we've been reading. And I wasn't there on that day. Many of you weren't there on that day, but some of you were. And you put that stone down as a memorial so that you might remember what took place in November 1997, and so that future generations might also remember what took place on that day. You know, last week, a young family in our church visited the 9-11 memorial in Gig Harbor at the fire station near McCormick Woods. It's made up of a piece of metal from the towers in New York, and it has plaques around it with numbers of the loss of lives at each location impacted that day. Their youngest daughter, in her innocent way, expressed how everyone was feeling later that night when she said to her mom, you mean people would give their lives for others? Yes. That's why we have things like this. That's why we have memorials, so that future generations would know what happened in the past. Memorials are there to preserve the memory for future generations. Today is Baptism Sunday. Baptism is a memorial. Baptism is a a sign, just like those stones that came out of the River Jordan. And parents, if you haven't had it happen to you already, one day your child is going to go, why do we baptize people? Just like that child at the 9-11 memorial asked their parents, just like the stone says outside, your child's going to ask you, why do we baptize people? To which you can reply, "Well, baptism is when someone becomes a part of God's family and we don't ever want them to forget that. Baptism is a, A sign that signifies we are a part of the church. That even if we might forget God, he will never forget us because we are a part of his family. And baptism marks that entry point into God's family. Just like the the crossing of the River Jordan marked the entry point into the promised land, baptism marks our entry point into the promised land of faith, the church. Today you were given a stone on the way in. And no, we're not going to stone anyone. I want to invite you to take that stone away, just like those people did all those years ago, and make it a memorial, a sign that points to the work of God in your life for you and for future generations. And here's what I'd love you to consider doing. I'd love you to consider writing the date of your baptism on that stone. And as I say that, I want to anticipate a few questions people will have. You might ask, well, what if I've forgotten the date of my baptism? (laughs) It's kind of the point. (laughs) I'd encourage you, if you don't know the date of your baptism, and I was right there with you 10 days ago, To go find out. Ask someone who might know. See if you can find your baptism certificate. Dig it up. I wrote to my mom. I I had a photo of my baptism so I could kind of guess when my baptism was. But I asked her, do you have the date? And she found my certificate and she sent it to me. March 19th, 1989. So that might be one question you have. Maybe you need to go away today and find out that date so that you can remember your baptism. Maybe another question is, well, well, Ellis, what if I've been baptized twice? Well, the Bible in Ephesians chapter 4 teaches us that we only have one baptism. Now, I too attended a Baptist-style church, age 12, and I got dunked again. But I'm writing down my infant baptism on this stone because I know that God was faithful to my infant baptism, and that my dunking age 12 was, was simply a reaffirmation of the baptismal vows taken on my behalf by my parents. And if you were baptized as a baby, let me tell you, God has been faithful to your infant baptism too. Do you know how I know? Because you're sitting here listening to this. You're not here by accident. You were here by God's design. You might have forgotten him, but he has not forgotten you. He has been faithful to your parents' baptismal vows. Finally, you might ask, What if I haven't been baptized? What do I write down, Ellis? Well, I want to consider, maybe you need to write down September 19th, 2021, on that pebble. We have elders who, uh, in fact, if the elders could stand up next to the door over there so that people know where you are, they're here and they're ready to meet with you during this next song. If you want to be baptized today, if you've not been baptized before, please come speak to one of these elders. They'd love to have a conversation with you. They'd love to help you figure out if today's the day. And if it is, we're ready for you. We've got towels, we've got T-shirts, we've got a very warm hot tub over here, or we can sprinkle you down front. And we would love to share in that moment where you say, yes, I'm a part of God's family and I need to make that declaration. And you know what, parents, if you've got a child who's here today, maybe they're down in our nursery or our kids program and they've not been baptized, you're welcome to leave, go grab them and, and, and bring them down here and meet with an elder. You know, when the people of Israel crossed the river Jordan, they, they didn't leave their kids on one side and say to them, you know what, when you're old enough, you can decide if you wanna come over with us or not. They brought their kids with them because they are just as much a part of God's family as the adults. And it's the same for us. That's why we baptize kids. That's why we baptize babies. Because they're just as much a part of the family of God as any one of us. And God is just as faithful to them as He is to any adult that professes faith in Him. So feel free to go grab your child, come and meet with an elder. We would love to baptize them today. And after today, I want you to take that pebble with your baptism date written on it. And I know you might not find that out for a little while but take it and go place it somewhere where you're going to be reminded of the faithfulness of God from the day of your baptism until now. Maybe it's somewhere in your yard. Maybe, maybe it's your front yard by your door as you go in or your backyard, somewhere where you look at it. Maybe it's by the kitchen sink where you'll see it every time you, you wash up or, or on your desk every time that you work somewhere that it's going to remind you and be visible to future generations to remind them of God's faithfulness from that day until now. The fur of faith is forgetfulness, but our God never forgets us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray for those who are here today who uh, have not been baptized, Lord. I know uh, we have one who's already indicated that, that he's gonna be baptized this morning. I pray that you continue to prepare them for that baptism. If there are those who, who are You're prompting right now to come forward and speak to an elder. I pray you confirm that to them in their hearts. I pray for each one of us that you'd help us to never forget your faithfulness, your kindness, your goodness, that you'd seal into us today the work that you have been doing over many, many years. Thank you that you never forget us. And for those who are here today who have strayed, who have walked away, Lord, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would enable them to return, and that this morning they would receive your love, your kindness, your compassion, you would welcome them with open arms, your Holy Spirit would be poured out upon them, and you would minister your love and peace to them, that they would know they are clothed and robe of righteousness. for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.